What's up, everybody? I hope you're just doing great and doing, having a wonderful weekend. If you are new here to Grace Church, my name is Aaron Olinsky. I'm the lead pastor here, and I just appreciate your willingness uh, to come and to come to our church and check out a church that meets in a movie theater. I hope that you are feeling God's presence, and and you already have kind of gotten a little bit of a taste of who we are as a church. We we like we love our church. I, I don't you're like I love our church. I love you guys, and and many of you love our church and and who we are. I feel like we have a great church. Uh, I really do. I, part of our vision is to impact the community, to connect people through relationships, and to lead a Christ-centered life. And I feel like we do that. Like We are accomplishing our vision statement all the time. And I'm just so proud of so many of you that do incredible things. In fact, I know many of you serve in different areas on different teams, what we call our dream team. And so I want to take a moment and I want to acknowledge our dream team. So if you serve here at Grace Church, if you could do me a favor and go ahead and stand up, we're all going to cheer for you because you guys are the ones that make this happen. All the dream teamers stand up. Yeah. We're, thank you so much. It's incredible. You guys are awesome. I know always the first person to stand, is like, stand up is like, okay, do I stand up now? And you kind of wait and make sure somebody else is. I get it. But if you, like you see all those people that are standing up. And so we are so proud of our dream team. But, and if you are, are there and, and you kind of see them and, and you want to get involved, right? You want to be on a team. We have some spots. We have several teams that could really use some help. And so if you want to get plugged into the life of the church and, and get connected in a great way, I would encourage you to join up on one of those teams. You can stop by the Connection Center and sign up. Like, we would love for you to do, to do that. And we're not just going to throw you to the wolves. Like, we're not just going to send you to anywhere. We want to have you serve in a place where you're equipped, where it's something that you're good at. We want you to do that. For example, if you're not good with kids, we're not going to put you in kids ministry. Like, I don't want you teaching my 10-year-old son. Like, in, like, I don't want you there. Like, I want you to be where you need to be, where you're good. But if you are good with kids, that's the gifting that God has given you, right? And so we want to put that into practice. And I just, it, it just amazes me, you know, with our church and who we are. I mean, we're involved in the community. We're, we're serving other people. We're going to other countries. Uh, this is a church where Jesus' name is glorified. He's the head of our church, and, and it just is wonderful. And so I just want to encourage you. Maybe there's somebody that you know in your life that you could bring along with you. You know, maybe it's next Sunday. You encounter them this week. You bring them with you and just say, hey, you know, you can come with me. You can sit next to me. Because many of us are aware the first time you go to a church, you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Am I going to know anybody? What's it going to be like? How am I going to dress? Like, and so, like, I just want to encourage you. We can be that and we can bring people with us. And so this is just uh, an incredible time in our church. This is uh, uh, week two of a powerful series uh, that we're in uh, called What Would Jesus Undo? And I want to share uh, with you a story as I get started in my, in my message. Several years ago, um, several years ago, gosh, it, I, I lived in Jacksonville from 2004 to 2009. So it was while I was living in Jacksonville, I had this great opportunity uh, to go to a PGA event, a professional golfing event. I don't know if you're a golfer or not. Some people love, like golf. Uh, some people don't. Some people enjoy it. Um, but 
all of you are aware of golfing, right? We're fully aware. And so there's a, a tournament called the Players' Championship. And it's hosted in Jacksonville, in Ponte Vedra, uh, right there every single year. An incredible course, uh, incredible challenging course. All the, all the big players go there. And so it just, it was great for me to be able to be there because I got to go. I got to go to this event. I don't know if you go to games or shows or whatever it is. So I was really excited to go to the Players' Championship. I had my ticket, getting all set, had my parking pass. And so I'm pulling in, right, with some, some buddies. And, and we park in our spot. And you kind of park in the grass type deal. And it's really neat. And so everybody's getting out. And, and so as you're going in, you know, we're, we're all aware of like golf etiquette. You know, golf etiquette kind of has this, you know, kind of understanding. And so as we're going into this event, uh, you know, I, I notice a sign and it says no cell phones. You know, and, and, and that's one of the things, you know, you know in, in this day and age and, and even several years ago, you know, cell phones are a big thing. It's a big part of our life. And so this PGA thing said no cell phones. And and I was, you know, I had my phone with me and, and I'm going in. I'm like, oh man, I see that sign. But we have seen those signs before, you know, they're in different places. And, and I had my phone. I'm like, mm, do I really want to walk back, you know, to the car and, and put it in there? And, I, and, and, you know, like many of us, I'm just, I just go, well, you know, I'll just put it on vibrate. You know, I'll, I'll take it in with me. You know, I'll do the airplane mode thing. I'll do the vibrate thing. You know, th that way, you know, I, I make sure, you know, it, it, it doesn't make any noise and stuff. And so we get into, we get into the event and, and there, there's like a ton of people and, and we want to follow like this particular golfer, you know, super popular, the most popular golfer over the last decade. And so we go to the first tee, you know, there, tee off, we're, we're following, you know, and, and so there is a sea of people. Uh, just in, uh, just a, a ridiculous number of people. You know, you're standing there looking, and we get to about the fourth hole, and we're following, you know, this golfer in this group, and and then you know it kind of gets to the point, you know, just part of golfing etiquette when you know how they 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 have these little signs that raise them up. I think I have a picture of it where it says "quiet, please." You know, they're just like, "Hey, you know, quiet, please," and that's part of golfing etiquette, right? And 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 we understand that, and it has to be quiet. So there's all these people. And this golfer, and then all of the sudden, yeah. So I'm standing there, and all these people, and that noise goes off, and everybody starts looking around, and I'm looking around. You know, I'm looking around, I'm like, what in the world? What's the deal? What, what? And, and, and this sea of people, and Tiger Woods' head snaps and looks in the direction of the sound, and all of a sudden I notice that people are starting to move away from me. And I'm standing there in the middle of this not-now crowd. I'm literally on an island all by myself. And the crowd moves away, and, and I, like my heart falls to the ground, my stomach falls to the ground. You know, the guy holding the sign, quiet please, comes directly to me. And um, man, I'll tell you what, it was uh, an interesting time. And here's the deal I have never, ever told that story publicly to anybody except my wife. And even now, in this moment, I'm a little bit embarrassed. And so, here, here's why. In this series, in this sermon, in this story, I want to share with you Proverbs chapter 16, verse, verse 18. It says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before 
a fall. And so what I want to share with you, what I want to preach on is the fact that Jesus would undo spiritual pride. So even though my story about the PGA and the, and the phone ringing, and, you know, that, that was obviously my pride in thinking that I was the exception, that I could take my phone in even though it said no cell phones. You know, that, but the, today, you know, in this message, I want to focus on that Jesus would undo spiritual pride. Right? And so spiritual pride, we need to understand that it's when we're puffed up. Right? We're haughty because of the things that we do, because we feel spiritual, or, or we value our, our spirituality, or the things that we do, or the, the purpose that we have. We think that, that you know, the achievements that we accomplish make us feel better or look better towards other people. And so what happens is we start comparing ourselves to ourselves or to others instead of comparing ourselves to Christ. And so when we do that, we have spiritual pride, and Jesus would undo spiritual pride because we aren't open to his voice and to what he's communicating. And I believe that Jesus actually wants to protect us from this, uh, from pride and from this fall, right? The fall that comes after pride. I believe that Jesus wants, us, wants to protect us from that. Uh, that's why this is communicated, and that's why he wants to undo it in our life. Uh, because so many people... Uh, think that God is out to get them. You know, maybe some of you, you, you do something wrong and you think that, oh, God's going to get me or he's going to, you know, do something to me or judge me. Or, and here's the deal. Does God want to instruct us? Absolutely. No doubt about it. But I would definitely say that God wants to instruct us before we have problems, before we experience the fall. And so I, I've heard you know, people say, and I know one of the things I appreciate in the friendships and the relationships that I had have is, is that as a friend, that we can tell each other the truth, like with grace, but we, we need to answer questions that, eat, that we give to each other uh, with truth and grace. For example, do I have anything in my teeth, right? If I do, and we ate Italian for lunch, you're like, yeah, you got that little piece of oregano, you know, right there between you. Like you, you say yes. You don't let your friend go through the rest of the workday, you know, with that big piece of oregano, you know, and, and uh, do, do, do you like my singing, mom? You know, and, and unfortunately, moms lie. Like, moms say, yes, I love your singing. It's so beautiful. But, but here's the deal. Like, you can't lie to people, uh, right? You, especially about their singing, because it could hurt them later, like when they show up in the line for American Idol to, to and, 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 and you're, and, but my mom told me, you know, that I could sing. So we've got to communicate truth with grace, you know, when we're answering questions and and here's the deal. The reason I share that is because in Luke chapter 18, if you want to open up your Bibles or your Bible app, uh, uh, here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to get to the verse in just a moment. But Jesus was giving it straight. Okay? Jesus was, he, he, he was giving the truth, like direct. And if you can't handle it, it's like you've got to move out of the way a little bit. So in this passage of Scripture that I'm going to get to in just a moment, there, there's two characters that I want you to recognize, right? And so the first is a man who's a Pharisee. And so a Pharisee was the title. Uh, it was the group of people, a religious sect of, of people who, who they were really, really religious. Like they were very devout and following the law and the Old Testament law. And, and, and it always seemed that they did the right things. And a lot of people looked up to them because of their devotion and their piety. And, and so this would be very much like a, a religious leader, a pastor, a Bible teacher. That's what a Pharisee would be. 
The other character in this passage is a man who's a tax collector, right? And so tax collectors, you need to understand, a tax collector was despised among the Jews. And here's why. Not only were they collecting taxes, and I, you know, I have not yet met a person who loves to pay taxes, but they're collecting taxes. So the tax collector was a Jewish person who was put in that position of authority by the Roman government because the Roman Empire was, was ruling over Israel at this time. So the Romans put the Jew in authority as the tax collector. So the other Jews hated that person because it was as if they were in favor of the Roman Empire. Then on top of that, that tax collector would often overcharge on taxes so they themselves could benefit personally. So they were usually really rich. So they would get personal gain from their fellow Jews and Israelites. It's kind of like a politician lining their own pockets, right? That, it's kind of like a drug dealer who sells drugs in their own neighborhood to their neighbors, right? And, and, and so Jesus is speaking very directly to this group of people, to the audience, about good versus evil. And he uses these two characters. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. It continues. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like those other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. And so there's some interesting things that this Pharisee says as Jesus is telling this story to a large group of people. And so the one thing that we've got to identify is that the Pharisee separated himself. He stood away from the other people because he was thinking to himself, I do things right. I do things better. I am better than those people. And so the thing that's interesting about Pharisees is they were, they were extremely devout. No doubt about it. Uh, and in fact, they would have to memorize the first five books of the Bible. And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about just the name of the book, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I'm not talking about just the name. I'm talking about the entire book, the Torah. A Pharisee was required to memorize the entire thing, every scripture. And they often made a lot of right choices, right? Following after God. And, and they knew God's word. But instead of seeing that as a gift unto God and being obedient and having a heart for him, they saw themselves as a gift to God. Uh, and that's interesting when, when we begin to change that a little bit. And, and we've really got to be careful in our lives that we don't develop this same type of attitude because it's easy for us to point at Scripture and the Pharisee and say, yep, see, like even those people, they think they're better. Or, or it's easy for us to identify that characteristic in other people around us. Or for us in our life to think that we're doing God a favor, right, by what we do and the decisions that we make. Oh, I'm, in, I'm at Grace Church this morning. Like I showed up. Like I'm going to put it on Facebook, checked in at Grace Church. Like look at me. See what I did? Or uh, I gave in the offering as the offering bucket went by. Did you notice? Like did you see that? So, so we, God, you're welcome. 
you're welcome, God. Like, I showed up, and I'm here, and, and I'm serving. And so what that is is that's spiritual pride that comes in our lives. And, and so when we experience that, what happens is there's some symptoms of that. So one of those is definitely we be, be, begin to get a little bit self-sufficient, where we start telling God, I got this. God, I can do this. God, I, I, I don't know if I, I, like, I don't really need you in this situation. I, can, I, I really feel like I can handle it. I, I can handle what's going on. And so we begin to think self-sufficiently or act that way. And then also we could begin to have some self-value where, right, we have some nice things in our life. And those things that we have, that we own, that we possess, that they, they make us feel better. They make us feel more prevalent. It could be our clothing. Uh, and yes, I do have a rocking jacket on this morning. It could be our jewelry that we wear that we hope people will notice. It could be our boat uh, that we ride in or that we park in our driveway. It could be our camper. Uh, it could be a number of different things that, that we feel like give us value. Or it could just be self-exaltation where we're trying to promote ourselves, you know, where it's like, hey, look at me. Look at what I did. You need to notice. You need to recognize these things. And so spiritual pride always begins on the inside. It begins on the inside of who we are, and it works its way out eventually in one form or another. And the thing that's interesting about all this is our vertical relationship with God definitely and always affects the horizontal ones in our life. And what's interesting is our attitude that we have towards other people. So that's what we've got to recognize. That's what we've got to see and experience. And so sometimes we'll see this spiritual pride or, or some arrogance in other people. We'll notice it and we'll go, gosh, like, can you see them? Can, can you believe what they think about themselves? They're always talking about themselves. And we don't really want to be associated with people like that. I and mean, if we're totally honest, we, we even kind of create some separation and we say to ourselves, I'll never be like that. I'll never be that way, except we find it beginning to come in our hearts and in our lives and in our attitudes towards other people where maybe, uh, just a few examples, maybe you kind of scoff at other people's clothing right? You, you, you have your clothing on and you feel good, you feel confident, and somebody else isn't wearing something quite as nice as you, and you notice, and you're like, oh, you know, that's too bad for them, but man, look at me. Uh, or maybe the vehicle that they drive, it's got a taillight, you know, popped out, or it's got, a, you know, some dents and some scratches, but you're driving something that's new and nice and shiny, and, uh, or maybe it could be at work, where you're there and you're in a presentation and one of your colleagues, maybe even a, a person that you're competing against for a promotion, they mess up in a presentation and you kind of sit back and you're like, yes. And you're kind of glad because they made a mistake and so you're boosting yourself. And so we make fun of others. We tease other people because of their appearance or what they do or how they say. And we, may, and we make ourselves feel better, right? To feel more confident in ourselves. Really what we're doing is we're trying to make others appear worse. And so that's a form of pride. And so there's times, right? There's times when we have pride in our life uh, and we experience it. Uh, you know, 
right now is, is football season, so you have a lot of high schools in the area. Uh, the, the, the players get to wear their jersey on game day, which I think is really cool. Uh, I, I played baseball when I was younger, so you, get to, you got to wear your jersey you know, on game day. So, but he, remember when you were in high school, or maybe you're in high school now, and, and those kids are wearing their jersey? They walk around school a little bit differently, don't they? They like got their chest puffed out. They kind of got their peacock feathers. Like they're like, look at me in my jersey. You know, it's Friday, a game day. And they're walking around like they own the campus, you know, or something. Or, or maybe uh, for you ladies out there, you kind of get that, that new purse, the designer one, you know, with the right kind of label and, and made by the right designer. And you walk in to work and you're like, you're, you're kind of like this. You got it over your shoulder, and you're kind of walking by all the cubicles, and you're going like, look, can you can see it, right? You can see it, and you kind of turn. You, you got to walk this way, but you're going like, can you see it? And you put it on the other shoulder so they can see it. You know, or, or if it's your shoes, you kind of are like, see, you're kind of stepping differently so everybody can notice. Our guys, you know, it could be your truck or the sports car. You make sure it rumbles a little bit at, at the stoplight. And so those are funny, and we get it, and we totally understand. And, and, and I do those things too, but here's what we've got to be careful of. That's kind of where it starts. That's the beginning. That's like the spark that lights the fire, because when we begin to do that, it can transfer over into our spiritual lives. It absolutely can. And it's easier to identify those flaws in others than it is in ourselves. But in talking about spiritual pride, um, there may be some of you that struggle with that. And you feel confronted right now. You feel a little bit uncomfortable. But I would dare say that there's also a group of you that don't struggle with it. You don't struggle with spiritual pride, but in fact, you struggle with the exact opposite. You struggle with spiritual insecurity, right? It's that inward emotion that we deal with um, that we go, I know I don't have it all together. And, and, and many of us, if not all of us, we would say that. We would go, I know I don't have it all together. Like, I know that I mess up all the time. I know that I'm sinful. And so what we do is we spend a significant amount of time and effort and energy to try and convince God, right, that we're worthy, that we're valuable. Like I, we feel like we've got to do these things and show because we're, we're overcompensating. We've, we need other people to notice so we can feel because of the insecurity or, or we're trying to convince ourselves because we're struggling with this so badly. And so spiritual pride may rise up due to comparison, but here, here spiritual insecurity may, may rise up just as well, where it might be difficult for you to receive a compliment. You know what I'm saying? Where you're struggling so badly, like somebody says something nice to you, and, and, and you can't, you're like, you, it's like you can't even receive it. Or, or somebody wants to give you a generous gift, and, and like you're going, oh, no, 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 I, I never could take that. It's because we, we just, we don't feel like we're worthy of something like that. Or you struggle to see yourself being used by God because you disqualify yourself. You say, I, God could never use me. I never could be on the dream team. I never could serve in a church like I never could do that. Like, are you kidding me? What if they find out the things that I've done? What if somebody hears and, and I, I, gosh, I never would want that to come out. 
You don't feel capable because you don't know enough of the Bible or you don't know the verses and you don't want to appear like a hypocrite like we talked about some last week. Or you constantly are struggling with a victim mentality. And so spiritual pride and spiritual insecurity, they come in our lives because we're looking at us. We're looking at us and who we are. And so we're just, we're full of ourselves is what happens. And when we're full of ourselves, the thing I want to share with you, my first point is when they're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. Whether it's pride or insecurity, there is no room for God in those scenarios because he's looking for people that are open and willing. And so what I want to share with you is that's the example of the Pharisee, right, in his prayer. And so Jesus has a better way, which is awesome. And so let me share that with you. In verse 13, it continues. But the tax collector, right, the one who was despised, he stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. So he's remorseful. He's repentant. He knows he needs sin. He needs forgiveness because of his sin. No doubt. And he's to the point where he's, he even feels hopeless if he doesn't get the forgiveness and the cleansing that he knows he needs. And here's how Jesus responds to this man in verse 14. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. But when we empty ourselves, like when when we spill everything out of who we are, not just consumed with who we are and that we're good or who we're not and that we're not valuable, but literally spilling everything out. What happens is God fills us with his grace. He fills us with his spirit when we empty ourselves. And some of you, you came in today to this service and you're already humbled. You are, right? You're humbled because of your situation. You know that you need him. Right? You came because you're, you maybe even are looking for some direction, some wisdom, because you have some decisions to make. Uh, maybe you have some financial problems in your life, and you're going, God, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? It's not lining up. I need you. I'm desperate in my finances. Or maybe it's business. Maybe you own your own company. You're a general manager. You have some major decisions to make regarding your company and the direction and the vision. And, and you know, he, gosh, we're, we're going to start coming into Q4. And like, there's some big things that have to happen in the rest of this year. You have some big decisions. Or maybe it's relational. Your issues and problems are maybe in your family, maybe in your marriage or some friends that you have, maybe with your roommate. Maybe it's with your health. As you walked in, you're dealing with just health issues and, and you need God and you know it. And you need him to show up. And, and so removing and battling against spiritual pride and spiritual insecurity is like the layers of an onion, right? And I have this onion up here. And, and man, I'll tell you what, you and I both know what's going to happen when I start cutting this bad boy open. And, and here's the reality, 
right? We know what's going to happen, and I cut this outside, and, and so we, this overcoming and battling spiritual pride is like the layers on this onion, right? We, we peel away the outside, and we're pulling it, and we know that there's different layers, and God continues to peel them away, and it's tough. We, like, we're digging our fingernails into there, and our issues, and problems, and deep down within us and who we are, and it's tough, and it's hard, and I mean, let's be honest, it also might make us cry. Like as we're dealing with the onion and like and the tears are welling up inside, it's a battle. And, and, and sometimes we're going, how in the world am I going to fix this? How in, and, and here's the deal. Like we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at the onion wondering how, and we don't know how. And so here's what I want to share with you. It literally is us emptying ourselves Instead of us trying to boost ourselves or instead of us feeling less or less valuable, I mean, it's where we come before God and we confess. Just like the, the sinner in this example, the, 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 the tax collector, he's like, God, I, I, I have done so many things wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. It's an aspect of humility. But we begin to you know, take these steps forward where we empty ourselves and start filling it up with him. And so we start serving. Right? We start taking steps and in, in being involved in church. We, we come to a worship service or we, we play worship music and, and praise music throughout the day in the car on the drive to work or, or you know, just in our headphones while we're working out. Like We're listening. We're praising God despite our circumstances, despite the problems and what we're going through. So we, we allow ourselves to worship him just simply because of all he's done and just simply because of who he is. And so when we empty ourselves... We're in the perfect position to experience number two, which is to be used by God. And there are so many examples of this in Scripture. It's like, how in the world do you just pick one? And so I want to share with you one that is, is significant. And, and you know, maybe if you are familiar with Scripture, you've heard of King David in the Old Testament, where David was the youngest brother and so there was a time when, when there was a, a, a king over Israel, and he was not doing a great job. He was not godly. God had literally lifted his blessing from him and was ready to transfer it over to a new king. And so Samuel the prophet goes to the house of Jesse, and, he's, and, and he goes, God sent me here. It's one of your sons. Well, here's the deal. Jesse had a lot of sons. And so he, he brings all of his sons in. And so the first, generally we think it's always the tallest we think it's the strongest, the smartest, the most handsome. And, and so the, the, like the first one, you know, son number one comes up and, and God tells Samuel, nope, it ain't that guy. It's not that guy. And, so it, and then he goes to number two and number three and number four. And finally, all the sons that were there, none of them. And so Samuel kind of looks at Jesse and goes, do you have any more sons? And Jesse I'm sure was a great dad, but his youngest son was not invited. Bring all your sons before Samuel. Jesse, or David was the little shepherd boy that was out with the sheep, the youngest one, not the, the tallest or the strong. Like the, and here's the deal. You talk about humble beginnings. He wasn't even invited to his own party. Like this was for him. And so, I mean, can you imagine? And here's a fantastic scripture verse that maybe you need to let settle in your soul. It's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Verse 7. It says, the Lord doesn't see the, the things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord 
looks at the heart. And so many of us, we had humble beginnings. We felt like David. We felt overlooked. Maybe you came from low-income family or poverty-type family, and, and you, you had to work when you were younger, and, and nobody considered you. Maybe you didn't get good grades in, in school, and, and like schooling was just kind of this thing that you had to do, and you trudged through, and you always struggled, and you weren't ever sure if you were smart enough or could do it. And so here's the deal. Humility is not a position of weakness. It's not. It's not looking down on yourself. That's not humility. Humility is a position of submission. It's acknowledging our dependency on the Lord. And that's the position that we've got to be in if we want to be used by God. Um, Because if we're not there, then we probably are prideful. And maybe prideful in ways that we can't quite see yet. And we've got to peel another layer of the onion back. And the thing that's interesting is when you talk about onions and pride, I mean, there is a, there's a verse, it, it just says that God resists the proud. You know, just the same way that you would resist me rubbing this onion on your nose. Like, God, that, that, like that's the pride. God peels it away. Like, God resists the proud. And so here's what I want to share with you that's encouraging. That can change. You can change today, right now, in this moment, in this service. That's, God loves opportunities like this. When we talk about being spiritually prideful or being spiritually insecure, whichever one you're in or whichever one you seem to lean towards most, God wants to change that here and now. And I do too. I'm willing to share a story right, that I've never shared of a little bit of public humiliation. Uh, because my goal, my hope is that that white might would settle in your soul and your spirit where you go, mm, man, I'm missing it. And I want it so bad for you. And so does the Lord. And he is here and he wants to connect with you in an incredible way. And so if you would do me a favor, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Like his Holy Spirit is here now. And you've been thinking about those things. And some of my examples, they've penetrated deep in your heart. And so let's go before God and let's be honest and transparent before him. So God, we come before you and we know that we need you. Just like that, the story Jesus told, God, we're we're saying, we know we're sinful. God, God, we need you. We're desperate for you. Would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Would you purify us? in an amazing way. Lord, thank you so much for your spirit. And Lord, I pray right now that you would cause the insecurity to just be washed away. Lord, washed away like dirt, just that you would be that cleaning agent in our life, that the Holy Spirit would come, that you would wash us clean, that we wouldn't feel dirty. Lord, that the the Holy Spirit would give us the wisdom that we need, that we desire, that we long for, to make the decisions that we want. Lord, we're desperate. We're crying out to you right now for our marriage, for our kids, for work. Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would communicate, even now, like words of knowledge and understanding and direction as we look to you. Lord, for aspects of spiritual pride, where we're a little bit haughty, where we snicker a little bit, where we poke fun and tease, where we walk around a little bit differently. God, would you change our hearts? We don't want to be that way. Would you reveal and expose and do something supernatural in this moment here and now? God, we glorify you. You're amazing. And we love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name.